Hi. Hello. So I think a welcome back is in order. Thank you. Yep. I made Nashville? it back safely. Um, Nashville was an experience. What an interesting little city. Uh, are you now converted as a country music lover? No. Okay. I had very low expectations. <laughs> That's probably good. <laughs> but it seemed like all of the restaurants you went to were trying to convert you. Yes. I thought I was safe with one of the bars that I chose, and then live music started, and I felt very trapped. So that's okay. So did you or did you not buy a very large pair of boots? I cannot comment on that. <laughs> Tell me about like, the run stuff, though, like being with the, the on crew. It was super fun. Um, flew in Thursday morning. My whole team was coming from Chicago, so they all flew together. We met up at the hotel that we were staying at, um, went out to get brunch, which was um, very Nashville, very barbecue. It was good, though. Um, but I don't know why cornbread has to have jalapenos in it. Some deep-fried brunch? Yeah, it was, it was a lot, but it's fine. And then we, I don't know, kind of hung out at the hotel, Went to one of the local running stores, as runners do. Mm-hmm. Um, the race itself was super fun. There were 35 teams that came kind of from across the country. And, yeah, it was um, kind of silly chaos. It was like a 5K relay, as I said in our last episode. Um, yeah, but it was fun. We did not win intentionally. Um, yeah. The, the winners, it sounds like, had to do more work, which is... Yeah, they worked a lot harder. Good. Yeah, we don't always want that. No, no, no. Uh, it sounds like you learned a little bit about job opportunities. Nothing really stuck out, but you were at least able to like talk to some people yeah. that could give you or be connections in the future. Yeah, for sure. I met a lot of people from on, a lot of people that work in sales and kind of the community management side. Um, so it was overall good. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, that sounds good. I'm glad it was at least worth going yeah it was fun oh you got some awesome stuff out of it too though i did i did i got spoiled are you currently wearing the shoes i am currently wearing a pair of shoes that i got yes uh well speaking of running and being active uh we've seen some funny stuff at the rec center recently that we wanted to talk about i have never felt older than when i'm at the rec center working out some of the some of the terms i think we've used are jungle Yep. Uh, Wild West. Yep. Um, what is it? I call it the zoo. Yes, it's the great outdoors. The great outdoors. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Some of the things we have seen. Um, oh, you were wondering about, like, why is everyone lifting in Converse? Mm-hmm. I have no... It's either Converse or no shoes at all. There's okay. no... Okay. There's no actual athletic shoes going on. Hear me out. We were there yesterday just, you know, pretending to lift weights, and... <laughs> There was a girl on the treadmill in like they weren't they weren't Converse, they were like high top vans. I was like, those those are okay. Those are skateboarding shoes. I was gonna say maybe she had some skateboarding to do, or they, she they, rode her skateboard to the rec center. They are meant for stationary, like standing on a platform. They are not meant for walking, they are not meant for running. I could see maybe lifting if you're being stationary, but like they're not stable. Those aren't. <sighs> well, I've, I've learned a few new techniques that I think are going to help me just be in better shape. The first one is uh, I think I need to tuck my sweatpants into my socks. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Big, like, tall white socks, and yeah. I'll tuck my sweatpants in. It's more aerodynamic. Yeah. I can definitely lift heavier weights. And then uh, I would also. Oh, this one's funny. So. I've just like started calling it the reveal, but it's it's so cringy to watch because someone will come in wearing a sweatshirt mm-hmm. and they'll do a couple lifts and then they will go to a mirror and just reveal themselves to themselves. Oh yeah. Do you Which, do you not do this every I, time no, you're at the I, gym? Uh, I actually do not. What? Nope. I just start wearing what I'm gonna wear. <laughs> the the really cringy part is when they will put the sweatshirt back on, do a couple more lifts, and then re-reveal themselves. Well, yeah. 
You got to keep everyone on their toes. Oh, apparently. But the uh, I think the funniest one we've seen recently is the sweatshirt with the sleeves off, but the hood on, and the headphones over the hood. So the sleeves are just dangling around. Yep. Yeah. I don't have an explanation for that one. I'm here to tell you, I went to a women's college. This is all new to me. (laughs) (laughs) This is a new environment. I don't understand it. Yeah, I got nothing. (laughs) I, there's a lot, you know, I, I'm not here to shame anyone for what they're wearing at Mm -hmm. the gym. I'm just confused. Like you're at the gym. uh, That's wonderful. I applaud you for working on your fitness but what are what are we wearing? <laughs> or what are we not wearing? It's definitely, oh, that's true. It's definitely not a shaming thing. It's no, more no. of a culture shock that we were not prepared yeah. for. Yeah. Because when when I was an undergrad here, uh, you had to have sleeves. Everyone had to have sleeves. And now I think actually sleeves are discouraged. I think shirts in general are discouraged. Yep. That's what I've seen. I think if you don't wear full Lulu, you're probably not cool enough to be there. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It's, uh, yeah, it's an interesting experience. It keeps me wanting to come back and There's see There's great what, people watching. I love where they have the treadmills because you can just look. Mm-hmm. You physically look down at everybody. Oh, yeah. I think whoever designed the rack was like, where can we put these treadmills for optimal viewing? Mm-hmm. Oh, but we're still going to go. For sure. It's, it's, yeah. more of a, it's more of an experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like free entertainment. Well, sometimes you have to pay. (laughs) (laughs) I got denied at the rec center the other day. Apparently, I don't go here. I don't work here, and I don't go here. It's a shame. I don't don't even know you. Riley had to sponsor me in and (laughs) sign a waiver for me. Uh, You're not the real Scott Crisfield. That might be a story for another time. Mm, Probably. (laughs) Okay. You ready for our first question? I think I'm ready. Yeah. Okay. Uh, It's... A question we'll both answer. Okay. So I'll do the same thing you did last time where I will answer first. Okay. So you have time to think about yours. Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, I have two, like, short answers or two short examples. The question is, you know, we've been, we've been talking about our families and Thanksgiving's coming up. So what are some funny examples of either just, like, quirks or things or just stories of either your parents or your grandparents, but your, your older family, what are just, like, some... You know, we talked about, like, my parents are getting crotchety. Uh, I've got some funny grandparent stories. But what is, like, something funny just because they're old and adorable now that either your parents or grandparents have done? So I've got, I've got two that I can think of. The first one is my uncle when my brother and I were younger. So when we were kids, my grandma lived on a lake. It was a very, like, iconic cabin-looking place. It was where her and my grandpa lived for a very long time. We spent a lot, a lot of time at this lake house. My brother and I basically grew up there um, doing a lot of trips and stuff. It was, like, up in the woods up north. It was a great time. My grandma's house was, like, far up on the hill, and then you'd walk down a lot of stairs to get to the dock and the boat and the water line. So my brother and I one day were down on the dock, and I think we were either, like, fishing or just messing around near the water, and we're young enough near the water, we both had life jackets on. We were very responsible. So safe. So really, like, not a whole lot bad can happen. Famous last words. So, right, my whole family's up on the hill. My my grandma's up there. My extended family's up there. And for the life of me, when I was thinking of this, I couldn't remember if I went in the water or if my brother went in the water, but it's irrelevant (laughs) to the story. One of us, you know, like fishing, catch a big fish or something, and it like pulls you into the water. So one of us goes into the lake just off the dock wearing a life jacket. Could not have been like a more safe scenario. And my dad's friend is there. I've told you about my dad's friend a couple times. He basically mm-hmm. taught my brother and I how to make a drink. Oh, yeah. Um, like the fun uncle. Yeah, he's the fun He's the unrelated fun uncle that we grew Everybody's up with. Everybody's got to have one of those. Um, that, uh, yeah, he, teaches all teaches the kids all the things that the parents aren't allowed to so one of us goes into the water and he's nearby and my uncle he's up on the hill and it's a steep hill so he sees one of us go into the water and he goes into like immediate emergency mode (laughs) instead of taking the stairs he goes directly from where he's standing and starts barreling down the hill 
he gets a couple steps in, and do you remember the the cheese wheel racing oh, video yeah. you sent me? It's the best. Where everyone's just going like ass over end down. Yeah, the hill. no, this is a, a, a plug. If you have not watched cheese wheel racing, I think it's in Scotland. Go to YouTube immediately. Pause this right now. Go to YouTube and look it up. It is yep. hilarious. That cheese wheel gets some speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he he starts doing that. He's running down the hill. His arms are flailing, and he immediately just like face plants, starts barreling down the hill, just ass over tea kettle, <laughs> rolls all the way to the bottom of the hill. My my dad's friend, who was nearby, looks at him and laughs, reaches over, and then pulls whichever one of us was out of the water and just sets us back on the dock as he just makes this huge, irrelevant scene off to the side <laughs> of just rolling down the hill. Accomplished nothing. Nice. Yeah, so that's one. The other one is something that to this day we still say so my my grandma was starting to kind of lose it a little bit but she would say just the most outlandish funny things that were just clear that she was not all there but it was you know it's a little sad but it was also very cute and funny at the time and it was fun to it was fun to quote so one year we did a, a family get together as one of the holidays and we had brought just a massive amount of food by this time we did we did most of the cooking and we would just kind of host at her place but we show up and someone's i think my dad says like grandma i hope you brought your appetite and she looks dead in his face completely serious and just responds well no i brought muffins (laughs) i mean you guys should have warned her yeah you need a heads up. Yeah, no, I didn't bring an appetite. I just brought muffins. Oh, so God. to this day, you know, that was like at least 10 years ago now. To this day, we will show up. No matter what you brought, you show up and you say, I brought muffins. <laughs> Classic. That was, that was grandma. Yeah, I, uh, I don't have anything as outlandish as barrel rolling down a hill. Um, so every year we do Thanksgiving with my dad's side of the family and I come from just a, a very small but, like, kind of traditionally structured family. Grandparents were always at the head of the table, kind of led the led all the traditions and whatnot. Um, but my grandfather, I'd say for the past, you know, 10 years, has kind of led everything. My grandma passed away when I was in middle school. Um, so, you know, he would always sit at the head of the table, and he would kind of start us off. And my grandfather was fully um, cognizant up until the day of his death. His his brain was fully intact, which was wonderful. My grandparents cannot relate. <laughs> I mean, most of my can't either, no. but he was, he somehow made it to 97 with his brain fully intact. So let's hope that I got some of those genes. But my favorite tradition, and this is just very silly, is at the start of every meal, he would kind of clear his throat. And he's not like, you know, a big you know, force or whatever, but everyone just respected grandpa. He'd be at the head of the table and clear his throat and say, all across America, people are sitting down with their families. And this just like exuberant speech about America and family values and, you know, sitting down to the turkeys, which, you know, I would, I would guess there's a did, fair amount of Americans. Did he have not. like one foot up on the chair to like have no, his power he sh- stance? He should have, like, that's the vibe he always gave off, but it was like every single, you know, holiday meal, family meal, it would always be all across <laughs> America. So <laughs> He, it's, you know, a running joke in my family. Anytime we're all sitting down together, somebody's got to kick off the meal by just giving this, like, exuberant speech about, you know, values and, and sitting down at the Is it the, the same table. every year or is it kind of, like, impromptu, like, exaggerated? Oh, it was the same every year. It was the same things. <laughs> and he passed away last year, and I forget who upheld the tradition whoever was sitting at the head of the table did the same exact speech in the same way and i i think it's one of those things that's going to continue continue into you know eternity and that so that's just a you know a cute you know we are still in the market for a name for this podcast we are all across america it's going on the list it'll go on the list we, we still need to narrow it down but yeah. we can put it on the list okay the other um this is my dad my grandfather's son um my dad got the incredible storytelling power from my grandfather 
my grandfather was notorious for just pulling out stories that somehow nobody had ever heard from his life. And it was like year after year, he would tell this you know, the richly detailed story about when he was in his 20s and moving out to South Bend, Indiana to work at Studebaker. And like, I don't know where he contained all of these memories. It has to be genetic. It because, has, okay. Because you remember everything. I do. That You're not wrong. And as I tell you, this story, it's going to become very evident that it's genetic. It is definitely genetic. It, if your dad inherited it, yeah, you did. Yeah. It's a one-line thing. Yeah, it's now making sense. You remember everything. Yeah. Yeah, when I was in high school, I had the, the nickname of Steel Trap. Yeah, no Because I didn't, <laughs> take, I didn't take a single note and just, like, could, I don't know, mm-hmm. recite world history. Yep. This is my shocked face through the microphone. <laughs> Anywho, so my grandfather would always bring out these wild stories that everyone at the table is just like, none of us have ever heard this. You've been alive for 97 years. How do you possibly remember a story from when you were 12 years old? In like incredible detail. But the story is not about my grandfather. The story is about my father. This probably happened, let's say four or five years ago. It was either at Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner. My dad kind of does the same thing. You know, we sit at a long table and we somehow all have like one conversation and there's, you know, 20 of us at the table. And my dad brings up this story about him and him and my uncle and like some of their friends, like childhood friends, used to go, honestly, I don't even know where it was. They used to go to some race, like F1, something like that. They used to go every year. But this was a story back like way before kids, way before my mom was around. They were youngsters. I can't see anyone in your family going to like NASCAR. Oh, I know. We're... We're wilding out. So he was at this, almost like, think about like Woodstock, but chaotic. He was camping out at this place. I think they had like either an RV or a campsite or something, but it was races. And he was there and one of the nights there was this like giant bonfire. And they were all, like, really drunk. And who knows what else. It was the 70s. Um, And my dad had brought... (laughs) My dad had brought his father, my grandfather's, giant winter jacket for the sole purpose of storing beer in it because it had, like, a lot of pockets. So he had, like, 20 cans of beer. It was a beer jacket. It was a beer jacket, exactly. And so they go down to this bonfire. But this is not a small, like, campsite bonfire. There's probably... 300 people circled around this kind of big open pit and a kind of chaotic and just, I I don't even know how to describe it. Um, Somebody pushed a school bus into the fire. It's a big fire. It's a big fire. And the school bus exploded. Okay. And like shrapnel from the school bus came at my dad hit all of the beer cans in his pockets, which then proceeded to explode in the jacket, and it was a disaster. And then he had to go home eventually and try to explain to his father why the jacket was completely destroyed. So your dad got school bus frag grenade. Yeah. And then his, basically his body armor was cans of beer. Yeah. And that's what took the hit. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. Yeah. Then you lose all your beer. Yeah, it's alcohol abuse. But, but like physically he was okay. Yeah. Because he packed beer in his jacket. Yeah, I'm sure at that point he didn't feel pain for other reasons. So, so it was cold out or something. So just imagine. I mean, it was like a 20 minute story that my father told about this adventure he was on, and my mom is just horrified because nobody has heard this story, and it's kind of one of those things where I'm the youngest child, so at some point when I reached whatever he considered adulthood, these stories started coming out that we've all realized that my dad was kind of a badass in his, like, 20s. And oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Probably today. Um, and so, like, he keeps just pulling out these stories, and my family is just dying. My mom is so embarrassed because she's <laughs> like, who is this man that I married? And then there's another very good one, again, when he was probably in his 20s, about driving down to Florida from Massachusetts with one of his friends. They drove nonstop. Um, with the help of um, yep. 
aid, let's yep. say. Yeah. Um, they were assisted. They were. They had some assistance <laughs> driving down. They would not have passed a performance enhancement. <laughs> no, they definitely had some performance enhancing drugs yep. in their system. Okay. With you. And like ended up getting into this like really shitty apartment down in like I don't even Tampa, Miami, somewhere. And the guy had absolutely nothing. He had no food. He had no like wasn't moving anything in. Literally just like drove this guy into an empty apartment. They also didn't have any money, so they just went and got a can of chunky soup, like Campbell's chunky soup. They didn't have anything to open the soup with. They didn't have anything to um, like cook the soup in. So they literally just held this can of chunky soup under the bathroom sink, hot water to heat it up. And then they opened it with like a knife that they found. Yeah, you just have a bunch of holes in it. And then they just ate this chunky soup out of the can. <laughs> I'm here to tell you, like my dad came from a well-to-do family. It was not as if my dad did not have the resources <laughs> to figure this stuff oh out. God. But okay. anyway, so in conclusion, every year there is some wild story that comes out. Usually it's from my father now, and it it ends up in just riotous laughter and my mom being embarrassed. Okay. That strangely makes me think of a, another story about my dad's my dad uh the same type of thing he's like he was cool when he was younger and uh like something happened he probably became uncool when he had kids or he something had children, like that. children. <laughs> so before he had kids he had a sports car a motorcycle mm-hmm. a dog so he used to be cool he used to go on these was, and he had a sailboat too and he used to go on these really cool trips with his friends and i met a bunch of these friends like now in, in like when we were, when John and I were kids, and met some of these friends, uh, you know, they've all like clearly had like stories between the three of them when they when they do this kind of stuff. But one of the stories, I, I he keeps a lot of the stories to himself. But one of them, he let uh, a little bit loose one time. God, it was like at least ten years that John and I would we, we wouldn't see him drink more than one beer. Like there was definitely some shit in his past that <laughs> that uh, he is he is. It was not like an alcohol problem. It was more like he got it out of his system and he doesn't need that anymore. <laughs> so one of the stories was uh, every year he and his friends would do like some big sailboat charter because they they had smaller boats that they would sail just like on Lake Erie or on Lake Superior and like they would just, you know, they grew up around sailboats. So the three of them would always go sailing. And I think there was four of them on this trip. But um, this year they chartered a boat out of Florida. So they traveled to Florida and then they rented a sailboat out of a company and then they sailed this boat all over just like the Caribbean. They went to the Bahamas, camped like in Nassau for a while. Wow. Nothing in this, in like the couple of days they were there has been shared. The only part he will tell me is this boat belonging to this charter company is no longer welcome in Nassau (laughs) in the Bahamas. Whatever they did, it's not even their boat. It just belongs to this company, and they rented it. This boat is not welcome in the Bahamas anymore. Iconic. Yeah. Now, what if they renamed the boat? I don't know. I don't know how you track something like that. Like, oh, either. there they are again. Get them out of here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's the all I know of this story is the ending is they are not with this boat. Oh, my gosh. Even if, like, a nice family wants to take this boat down to the Bahamas, mm-hmm. they are not allowed. No. Only bad things happen yeah, on this boat. You just never know. There's. I love it. Wow. Okay, that was fun. Are you ready for your, your true crime story? Riley's got a whole storyline of a true crime. Yeah, I'm a big true crime girly. Um, so we're going to do Riley's true crime story time. And I'm, I'm coming at you with a survival story. I figure if we're going to start on the true crime pathway, I'm going to start easy. So We're going to take it slow on true crime. <laughs> we'll, we'll take it slow. Um, so this is the incredible survival story of Susan Kuhnhausen. Kuhnhausen, okay. Yes, that was her married name. So Susan Walters was born in 1955 and grew up in a military family. That's unfortunate. Mm. Her father was in the Air Force. and her Even mo- more unfortunate. <laughs> her mother was a stay-at-home mom. Her parents separated when she was in second grade, at which point Susan moved from state to state, shuffling between different schools and homes. After finishing school, Susan began her lifelong career as a nurse. She moved to Oregon in the early 1980s to sort of begin her career. Susan's friends say that she's boisterous, outgoing, and fun. She loved going to comedy shows and would always get a seat right in the front row. 
Um, she never had much interest in finding love, but in 1988, her mother and one of her friends paid for a personal ad in the local paper what? for her 33rd birthday. So they made like an old-fashioned Match.com. They for sure her. did. Ad in the paper. The ad read: <laughs> "Someone different, single, white, female, 33." Overweight, but not over life. Jesus. <laughs> Seeks single male who wants more out of a relationship than just slander. She was all about that base. She was all about that base. So as you might imagine, Susan got a lot of responses to this ad. But one of the many responses to the ad intrigued Susan. It read, hi, different. My name is Mike. I'm a 39-year-old divorced white male. I enjoy most things in nature, from wandering in the ape caves at Mount St. Helens to walking on the beach at sunset. What more do you need? What more do you need? So Susan followed up in the ad, and the two talked extensively on the phone before agreeing to meet in person. Their first date was at the Crystal Springs Rhododendron Garden. Within a year of dating, they drove to Reno to get married. Their first date wasn't rollerblading? It was not rollerblading. Okay. Things might have gone better if it was. I think that's why this turns out to be a survival story. <laughs> Unfortunately, it didn't take long for the marriage to go downhill. The early days of adventurous hiking dates and going out to dinners quickly faded into history. Mike moved from job to job. The couple never had children, which the two seemed fine with. But over time, Mike became increasingly controlling and harassed Susan anytime she tried to leave the house. But throughout this time, Susan remained a devoted wife continuing her passion of nursing and supporting the couple as Mike moved job to job. But in September 2005, after 17 years of marriage, Susan decided she had enough and kicked Mike out of the house. Okay. He moved in with his Some father. Strong, independent woman shit. Strong, independent woman. We love Susan. He moved in with his father, but Susan never bothered to change the locks or the code on the security system, mm. which was the date of their anniversary. That's like step one. I know. You change your life insurance, then change the locks. Mm -hmm. The two never officially got divorced and maintained a cordial relationship after the separation. So we'll fast forward a bit to the evening of Wednesday, September 6th, 2006, about one year after their separation. At this time, Susan was 51 years old. She worked as an emergency room nurse at Providence Portland Medical Center. After ending her shift that day, she went to Perfect Look Hair Salon. She wanted to get a little, little okay. new do. I, I mean, she, she's still a nurse. She's making her own. Uh-huh. Yeah. So Look she good, feel good. I know. As she waited for her appointment, she read an excerpt from a poem which read, I will not die in unlived life. I will not live in fear. She headed home after her appointment and found a note in the mudroom from her estranged husband, Mike. The note read, Sue, haven't been sleeping had to get away, went to the beach. Now, Mike had been at Susan's house earlier in the day to take care of her cats while she was at work. So after reading the note, Susan heads to the bedroom, I would imagine, to change into something cozy. You know, you're getting off work, just got your hair just done. Just got her hair done. Want to settle in for the night. Within seconds of entering the bedroom, a man jumps out from behind the bedroom door and attacks her with a claw hammer. A claw hammer? Yes. Okay, I'm going to have to look up. Okay. I, I'm picturing a hammer literally with a, like a hand claw on it. No. It's, <laughs> it's a normal hammer that you'd use to hammer something into the wall, but on the other end, it's got those two prongs. Oh, so just a normal hammer. Just a normal <laughs> It's called a claw hammer. Okay, all right. Mm -hmm. um, because you can buy a hammer that doesn't have the claw end to it. I think that's a mallet. <laughs> <laughs> Should we keep going down this so, rabbit hole? No. <laughs> Um, so a man jumps out from behind the bedroom door and attacks her with a claw hammer. He struck a direct blow to her temple. What the attacker didn't prepare for was Susan's response. As an emergency room nurse of 30 years, Susan was well-versed in thinking on her feet and had extensive training in self-defense. She probably also stitched herself up like right then <laughs> there. Susan got up, tackled the attacker, and pushed him against the wall. The attacker spoke the only words he would speak that night. You're strong. Oh, he was surprised. He was surprised. Oh, he didn't know. He did not know what he was getting into. Mm -mm, he thought she was a small girl. He thought she was a small girl. She was not. 
The attacker was later described as a five foot nine, late 50s man weighing about 190 pounds. He wore dockers, a blue striped shirt, and a tan baseball hat pulled down low over his eyes. His long hair was pulled into a ponytail, tucked into the cap. He wore yellow rubber gloves on his hands. So it was definitely not Mike. You've got long hair. That couldn't have been Mike? We don't think so. Okay. So it was in that moment that Susan realized that the man was at her home to kill her. With adrenaline surging, Susan managed to wrangle the hammer from the attacker and began swinging it at his head. He managed to get the hammer back during the struggle, at which point Susan knew the only way to fight back was to strangle him, which she did until he began to turn blue. But she got nervous because he was turning blue. Keep in mind, she is a nurse. It is her job to save people. Yeah, she probably didn't plan on coming home and killing somebody. So So once he started to turn blue, she dropped her hands and made a break for the exit. But he caught her before she managed to leave the bedroom and threw her to the ground. In that moment, as she's laying on the bedroom ground with the man standing above her, she looked up and thought, this is how I'm going to die. Oof. But beyond all odds, she managed to pull the attacker to the ground and attempted to get the hammer back from him. Since she didn't have any leverage on him while on the ground, she did the one thing she could do. She bit him. Everywhere. She managed to bite through his zipper to get to his... Got it. Manly Got it. (laughs) As she was doing this, as she's actively biting him struggling with this man trying to kill her, she attempted to go through his pants pockets to find any kind of ID that she could toss in the room for investigators to later that's find. Some, that's some, like, taken shit right there. Uh-huh. She Get some identifiable marks on him. She's a bad bitch. Yeah, and she also hoped that if she died and he got away, police would be able to identify her bite marks on his body. Oh, my God. Susan is not messing around. They don't teach that in self-defense class. No. In a moment of incredible strength, Susan threw a leg over the attacker's body, climbed on top of him, and hooked her arm around his neck. She tightened her arm around his neck until he stopped moving, took the hammer, and fled out of the house. She immediately ran to the neighbor's house and urged them to call 911. In the 911 call that the neighbor is on the phone with the police. The police ask if Susan needs an ambulance. Susan says, no, I don't need an ambulance, but I think the attacker might. Oh, you're kidding me. She calls an ambulance for her attacker. Yep. Um, And she still had the hammer with her, and the police said, drop the hammer, leave it, nobody else touch it. So the ambulance is on its way for the attacker. (laughs) It didn't take long for police to identify Susan's attacker and tie him to her husband. Police found an ID in the man's back pocket identifying him as 59-year-old Ed Haffey. Haffey had a long rap sheet, including the murder of his ex-girlfriend 15 years prior. I was, I was kind of going to ask if this is this guy's first time, because it doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be going well. It's not going well. You'll learn why. But for this crime, for his, the murder of his ex-girlfriend, he spent nine years in the Eastern Oregon Correctional Institution. He was released on November 3rd, 2003. The day after the attack, Susan went back to the house with a friend to collect some of her belongings. Props to Susan. I would never go back into that house. Going back into that house where that just happened? Absolutely never. Nope. That house doesn't exist anymore. While she was there, her and her friend noticed a backpack in the basement that seemed out of place. They opened it up, and inside the backpack was a container of Hershey's syrup... $200 in cash, diabetes pills, a day book, like planner, and a pay stub made out to Ed Haffey. An entry in the day book for Monday, September 4th, 2006, was marked, Call Mike. A manila envelope listed Mike's new cell phone number. I'm sure you're curious where Mike is during this whole ordeal. Probably not the beach. On the day of the attack... Mike drove to the beach, just like his note said he did, but he returned to Portland that night and the next morning purchased a revolver at a pawn shop. Mike then left a suicide note in his father's house, claiming that all he ever wanted was to be loved. 
Upon finding the note, the police pulled out a bolo for Mike. And at 10 a.m. on September 13th, one week after the attack, they found him alive in Kaiser Sunnyside Medical Center, where he claimed to be checking himself in for psychiatric help. Yeah, I, I think ordering a hit on your wife calls for some psychiatric help. Yeah, you're not wrong. No, that I think you might some. not be the first clue that you need help, no. but... Um, it doesn't exactly say, I want you back. No. So further investigating would find that Mike had lost his job in the weeks before the brutal attack. While Susan had taken him off of her life insurance policy following the separation... I'm telling you, step one. I'm telling you. His name was still in the house, which was fully paid off and worth about $300,000. The house would be Mike's if Susan were to die. So, how were Mike and Ed Haffey connected? When Haffey was released from prison in 2003, following his sentence for murdering his ex-girlfriend... Which one? That seemed to have been successful. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So following his release in 2003, he moved to Portland and was in need of, need of a job. And in 2004, he found just that when Mike Kuhnhausen hired him to clean floors at Fantasy Adult Video. That was the job that Mike lost? No, that is a separate job. Okay, I was going to say he's working at an adult film store. That is one of his um, career paths. Okay. So following his arrest, Mike denied any connection with Ed Haffey and claimed no involvement in the attempted murder. But the evidence pointed directly at a plot between the two men. There was no sign of forced entry. Security records showed that someone had disabled the alarm system while Susan was at work, and a former cellmate of Hafferty's informed police of an insurance scam Haffey was involved in. Further witness testimony would reveal several meetups between Haffey and Mike in the lead-up to the attack. Um, and it should be noted that Mike tried three different people to carry out this attack. The first offer was for $5,000, which unsurprisingly was turned down. So you're, you're telling me that the killer was the third string pick, the backup to the backup. Yeah, yeah, third string quarterback. I don't really know the going rate for a hit, but I think it's more than $5,000. Even in, was this 2006? Yeah. Like, in this economy, $5,000? Are they even taking into account inflation? I don't think so. I bet the, the demand can, cannot be that high. The supply has to be pretty low. I think the supply is pretty low. So, on August 30th, 2007, Mike pleaded guilty to soliciting Susan's murder. He was sentenced to 10 years in prison as part of a plea deal. Due to good behavior, Mike was supposed to be released early on September 14th, 2014. But in a twist of karma, he passed away just 92 days before his scheduled release. Mm. Did they have a cause of death? Natural causes. Oh, of course it was. As for Ed Haffey, the attacker, Mm -hmm. he died as a result of injuries incurred during the incident. An autopsy would show he had a near-lethal dose of cocaine in his system when he attacked Susan in her home. He shouldn't, uh, he shouldn't have brought such a good weapon that she could, that she could use against him. <laughs> he didn't know what he was up against. He should have brought a mallet and not a claw hammer. <laughs> also, though, what is the Hershey syrup and the, the diabetes pills for? Is that just like They're his definitely stuff? connected. <laughs> I mean, it's like his stuff that he had yeah. in, his, in this bag that he left. I mean, I guess if you're going to go go carry out a hit on somebody, you need to bring your syrup. And make sure you don't go into shock because yeah. of, you know. Bring your cocaine <laughs> and your syrup. <laughs> and your diabetes pills. And your dairy eggs. <laughs> your dairy eggs. So, while Susan survived the attempted murder, the trauma from the ordeal has endured. She continued to work as a nurse for another eight years until the death of Mike in jail Mm. in December 2014. Her job was to save lives, but she struggled daily with the knowledge that she had to end a life to save her own. Susan is still alive today and is deeply involved with victim advocacy work. She has worked closely with justice organizations in the Portland area, including Women's Strength and Girl Strength programs and the Oregon Crime Victims Law Center. In 2017, Susan helped to establish Case Companion, a free website dedicated to supporting victims of crime in the area. 
It answers questions about the justice system, what to expect in proceedings, and provides online resources for victims. Furthermore, as soon as the office files charges, victims can track their offender's court dates, sentencing details, and information about offenders when they are released. Um, Susan is still very active today. As I said, she is working on a book, a memoir, Mm. recounting her events. It has been widely publicized on podcasts and on TV shows. Um, There's a great episode of I Survived that you can find that goes over her case. But it is just a very unusual case where a woman fights for her life and actually makes it. I like this story a lot. Yeah. I know you said I would, but I like this story a lot. Yeah. I think, I think everyone should like have some type of self-defense class. Yep. But this is like next level. Yeah. This is like her instinct took over and they were right. And all the things that she did, even though he ended up dying. Yes. Which is like, you know, he knew what he was getting into, but even though he ended up dying, you know, her instincts to protect herself and then just take the threat away enough for her to get away yeah. is something you can't teach. I, I mean, the number of steps that she took to make sure that if she died, which I, I think she truly did believe she mm-hmm. was going to die, she tried to hide or, or throw his ID somewhere. Mm-hmm. She tried to leave bite marks. When she left, she took the hammer with her just in case he take got back up away. and followed her. Which is a huge flaw in horror films. They always leave the yeah, weapon. Yeah, you them. never leave the weapon. Susan, a true queen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's very sad. She has lived with the trauma of this experience. She ended up moving to a different house in Portland sort of after this event her house is surrounded by gravel so that she can hear anyone if anyone's going to come oh, sure. come to her house. When she goes to a restaurant, she always has a clear sight of a door. When she drives, she's always looking for people following her. And she was actually saddened by the death of Mike in prison that he wasn't able to be surrounded by all the people that loved him. Mm-hmm. Like, she is a true hero. I, I've heard it called uh, capital T trauma, not just like oh, that was traumatizing or like that will, you know, that capital T trauma is like scarring, something you can't control, something you'll live with forever. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I like that one. Props to Susan. She's a real one. Cool. I'm going to have to try and top that next week. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, thank you. Um, I have one more question before we close out. It's another fun community question. And I kind of know... You told me a story one time, and I kind of know what you're going to go with for this answer. But my question is, what is a time that you went to either an event or, like, just, you know, you were along for the ride, and all of a sudden you look around, and you're like, how did I end up here? Like, this situation is so crazy. You can't make this up. Um, so I'll, I'll go first. In, again, upstate New York, so we're, we're back to Adirondacks, there is... So, like, Saratoga Springs is a very small town up in sort of, like, just below the Adirondacks, but in upstate New York. Oh, I spent a New Year's Eve in Saratoga Springs in a previous life. So, it's, like, got a very small town vibe. Uh, There's, like, two or three bars. But then they have a racehorse track. Of course. So, and it's not, like, where you would just, like, a some people could bring their horses and race on the weekends. Like this is, there is race season that's like 12 weeks long and actual race horses from around the country will come there and compete. And they do like serious race horses for a ton of money. So there, there's the racetrack there and the entire culture and scene of Saratoga Springs during race season will change. Um, you'll go from small town to like, and like having normal cars on the side of the road and just like people walking around in casual clothing and you will go to full puffy dresses with giant headdresses. The men are wearing three-piece suits and top hats with a cane. There's Lamborghinis and Porsches and Maseratis just lining the street. Is this not what you do every weekend? It is uh, actually not what I do every weekend. So, but like you can, it is free to go into the races you can bring food and drinks into the races because they make all of their money on gambling. Um, they make enough just on people betting on horses that you can bring whatever you want into these horse races. So there's a very, there's a very clear divide between where me and my friends would go 
and where I would say the uh, bourgeoisie would go for these races. But it was so funny to see because we just go in casual club. We would drag our cooler into there because you can bring a cooler of beer, and we'd have like $2 lawn chairs, and we would just walk around. And everyone's just walking around in the mud. Like there's horse shit everywhere. One of the days it was raining, so it's literally just like everywhere is muddy. And But then you look over, and on this other partition are the women are wearing giant feathery hats and they have like fans and everything and and the men are walking with their canes and it's it's just a whole scene and you look around you're like how did this small town even become this and they they all get in their lamborghinis and and go back to their rented homes for their summer homes that they're in so the but the race horse season in Boston or in like Boston Spa Saratoga Springs area was just iconic so fun so crazy. You had to experience it. Um, that just brought up a memory that I thought I had buried. Uh-oh. This was, gosh, such a weird time in my life. I think it was also 2017, the same era mm-hmm. of the, the rollerblading the rollerblading, era. yeah. I'm going to be honest. I don't remember much of the second half of this day. <laughs> <laughs> but I was living in Boston at the time, and... Anybody who knows me knows I'm really not bougie. I'm quite the opposite of bougie. I'm in a sweatshirt and leggings right now, just cozy. Mm-hmm. So it was Boston. It was summertime. So I think just idyllic summer, New England. It was a weekend, probably a Saturday. And someone had texted me the night before, one of my friends, and said, hey, we're going to go down to Newport tomorrow to go to a polo match do you want to come with i've i've been to a polo match in newport i thought about using that story yeah that's a story for another time yeah um and i said sure and i said well there's a dress code and i said um and i i just looked it up um the dress code is newport casual chic Mm -hmm. for those of you not from New England or familiar with the Newport scene, it is wealth. People from England moved their houses yep. to Newport, Rhode Island, yep. like brick by brick, yep. took apart their house in England and then put it on a ship and rebuilt it here. Yeah, it is. Um, you can tour them today. The Newport mansions are famous. Um, they're immaculate. So we we left Boston, I think, at like 6 a.m. We were in very classic polo attire. The men were in dress pants and... Bow ties? Bow ties, yep. yes. We were looking Flyer. fancy. All of the women were in flowery dresses. We had little hats, very nice shoes. I'm like throwing up in my mouth just thinking about this because this is not me. <laughs> and we got there, we parked, and made our way to sort of the equestrian area for the polo match. Mm -hmm. And we had brought, like, picnic things with us, a lot of alcohol, but also, like, I think we were drinking champagne all day. Oh, yeah. No, you have to... You're in, like, absolute mud and muck and horseshit, and you're drinking champagne. Yeah, we we brought... Charcuterie. Yes. No, we didn't have chairs. We had, like, blankets to sit on. It it, is so bizarre. Mm -hmm. Um, But we hung out, and I was with... A lot of people I did not know. Very unclear, like, why I agreed to go on that this. That is unlike you. And, yeah, we spent the day down in Newport. I think I actually drove us back, which is a terrifying thought. <laughs> I guess I'm channeling my father driving down to Florida. You must but... have had the least amount of charcuterie. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, you know, I, I feel like growing up in New England in the the type of family that I did, you're sometimes thrust into these situations where you're like, I do not belong here. That was one of them. Mm -hmm. Certainly others. Um, Also working at Harvard after undergrad, like you're in weird situations where you're like, how, like I do not belong here. (sighs) What's our wrap up topic? Thanksgiving. Oh yeah. Yeah. What are your, um, what are your big Thanksgiving plans? Hopefully no uncle's barrel rolling down the No, house. I think we're going to try to avoid any type of cheese wheel racing down the hill. Okay. Um, 
No, I've got I've got meals on each day, Thursday through Sunday. I think we're gonna do a little bit of both sides of the family, um, and then we also have a. We've got the Jackson's birthday party on Aww. on Saturday. Yeah. Is he gonna be two? Gonna be two. Aww. You want to hear a theme? I do. It's cringy, but it's still kind of fun. Sure. Too fast, too furious. Because he loves cars. He loves cars. He okay. loves you cars. You have told me that. You know how like you can't say walk or run around Buck or he will just yeah. flip out? Yeah, yeah. You can't say cars around Jackson <laughs> or he will look at the TV and think that you were going to put the movie Cars on. Wow. So now we say the C word. <laughs> it's a whole different uh, yeah. context so when you have a two-year-old. We're just, you know, you got to take what you can get. The C word is much more appropriate. <laughs> well, that's fun. Yeah, no, I'm uh, taking a flight out to Boston tomorrow morning. Taking um, what time? Five fifty in the morning. <laughs> yeah, it's. I'm gonna be a zombie at the airport. Um, nope, just doing family stuff. Most of my family's on the same same area, so just a very traditional Thanksgiving dinner, and yeah, nothing too crazy. Sounds fun. Actually, awesome. we have a funeral Saturday, but. Celebration of life. Yes. Yes. You're right. Is it, uh, is it just enough time with your family where you don't get sick of them? I think so. I think I've like figured out the sweet spot. It's like four, four to five days. And then I need to leave. Last summer I did seven days. No. That was a huge mistake. Day six was, uh, like red line. Frankly, like seven days with anyone. (laughs) This is why I live alone. Seven, seven days with myself is bad. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> yeah, and then I, I come back. I have a day of no work or school so that I can just decompress. And, uh, yeah. Love it. Yep. Perfect. I think that's all we have today. I think that's it. Same time next week? Yeah, let's do it. Okay.